Well, here we are with the Salmon Trout Steelheader podcast, and I'm so thankful to everyone who listens. And you know, when I'm out here recording on my computer into the microphone, sometimes it feels like it's just me talking into a wall, which I'm okay with because I'm so into talking about fishing, I probably would talk to a wall about it. Um, But beyond that, I've been able to meet a few of you on the river. There's been some good coho fishing lately, so I've been able to talk to some people, get some messages, uh, hear from a couple people that you guys are listening to the podcast and that you're enjoying it. And so that means a lot to me. It means a lot, uh, you know, as someone representing Salmon Trout Steelheader, which has been a wonderful publication since 1967. I just got off the phone with Frank, uh, 79 years old. He started uh, the magazine way back in 1967. Uh, He was a teacher and a fisherman. And let me tell you, he's still out there. And you know what he just told me is this year was his best year uh, of, of Chinook salmon trolling that he's had. And it just goes to show, you know, some of these people, I've been fortunate enough to talk to Frank, Amato, um, Buzz Ramsey, uh, you know, a bunch of a bunch of great people who have been around, seen quite a few runs, uh, you know, the ups and downs. And they, although they are very concerned about, you know, steelhead and specific stocks, they're also not all doom and gloom. We do have some incredible things happening in the salmon world, and let's certainly hope for better conditions coming up for steelhead. But wonderful to hear from Frank, um, his thing out on the coast, trolling for salmon. He's been getting fish on kind of a white sparkly wobbler that he's trolling with a sinker that has green on it. He didn't tell me what kind of green yet. I don't know whether or not he wanted me to share that. However, I'm pretty sure he doesn't listen to the Salmon Trout Sea Lighter podcast himself. So, we're good to go. You don't tell him, I won't tell him. So, without further ado, I'd like to jump into an article called Beyond the Twitch. This is something that I wrote uh, last fall or so. And uh, it just has to do with Twitch and jigs and, you know, kind of some different ways to fish them. Twitch and jigs are so popular these days. There's so many people fishing them, catching tons of fish on them. No secret, but there's always some fun stuff to talk about. So let's jump into a bit of that. This episode is brought to you by Al's Goldfish, which is an incredible coho lure as well. If you want a spoon that you can catch fish on swinging as well as jigging, it is really something else. And if you look on the YouTube channel, I'm also a massive fan of it for cutthroat trout, rainbow trout. Caught a springer on it, caught a couple uh, coho and such, and uh, really getting into that spoon in different sizes. So this article is called Beyond the Twitch, More Than Just a Coho Crusher. From a deadly niche technique to a West Coast phenomenon, twitching has added a new tool in many coho salmon anglers' arsenals. This technique has been covered in STS before, and there are many excellent resources to learn more about the basic twitching technique. This article, however, pertains to some lesser-known twitching techniques as well as multi-species distinctions. My information comes not only from seven years of twitching experience, but perhaps even more from discussing it with guides and other angler friends. It may give you a few additional things to try on the river. So let's talk about basic twitching. Here's kind of the quick breakdown of basic twitching. First of all, you cast into your target water or just beyond it. And 
probably don't need to get into where coho hold, but you know, you've got the places where you see the jumpers, oftentimes in some of the, you know, more dead water, go ahead and fish for them there. But if they're not, if they're not in there, I really recommend going into riffles and other area that may seem more like steelhead water, some stuff that might be a little more fast, perhaps. Um, maybe you're switching it up, run spinners and spoons. Maybe you're running a twitching jig in there. But anyway, you cast into or just past your target water. And then, depending on the depth of the hole, you're going to start twitching. And if it's a really deep hole, sometimes, yeah, I will actually open my bale and let it just kind of drop line out there. And while that's happening, when I, you know, kind of got the idea I'm getting close to the bottom, I'll flip it over and uh, reel up the slack, make a quick twitch, and then drop that rod tip. So you don't want it to hit the bottom if it does get it up off of there quickly. But after that, you want to keep it kind of somewhere near the bottom where, you know, a fish that that is holding tight to bottom could come up, you know, could see it and come up for it. But especially in dead water, it's not necessarily super important that you get right near the bottom. Now, if the water is moving fast, it's moving through, coho will probably tuck in really close to the bottom. And that's where you want to really make sure that you're twitching in front of them there. Uh, but the first idea with twitching is you want to lift it really quickly, ideally with a shorter rod, just because it's a nice wrist action. I like a seven foot bass rod and a spinning or bait caster. Personally, I use some lamb of glass bass rods for that and really enjoy it. Um, a lot of people go with the twitching specific rods are around seven, nine, seven, six, eight foot. And those work great as well. I just love bass rods and in general an extra fast rod so that's what I use so you're gonna lift the rod tip very quickly but when you do that after you lift it you drop it immediately on a dead slack line you should watch if you're using braided line which I'd recommend like a 30 pound braid with like a 15 pound bumper tied with a uni knot when you drop that rod tip it should go fully slack and the nice thing about braid especially higher visibility braid or semi visible braid is before you even feel it, sometimes you will see the line tighten on a bite. And that can be a difference maker for actually sticking it on those fish that you'll miss. So yeah, you gotta have an extra fast rod to feel them. And I really believe in having a line that you can see when it's falling so that you can see it move unnaturally. And as soon as you see that happen, just set the hook. Most of the time you're gonna drop it, you're gonna lift it, you're gonna feel the fish and you do an extra lift for a hook set and that should work. So after you drop the rod tip, you might reel a little bit, especially if you're upstream of yourself. If you cast upstream of yourself any way, shape or form, you're going to lift and you're going to reel probably, you know, maybe two, maybe even three cranks. But if you're casting out in front of you and then kind of swinging it below you, that crank ratio is going to really start to slow down. And there are numerous cases where I do not reel at all during the twitch until I'm actually reeling it all the way into my rod tip. So that's kind of the basic idea here. Um, you're just going to kind of utilize the jig to get into the target water slightly above it. You're going to drop it back down. If you're swinging through, keep it down near the bottom. Sometimes I'm letting line out of my reel, whether it be a bait cast or a spinning reel dropping line out just to get back farther in the hole and kind of back bouncing the twitching jig almost. That can actually really work. So the the cool thing about twitching jigs for coho 
is the variety of of presentations that they'll hit on from a shorter subtle twitch to a big old exaggerated twitch they'll they'll grab a a twitching jig in a number of colors in a number of ways but you will start to find patterns in certain holes for sure so just uh the cool thing is the fish will tell you what they like so kind of like bass fishing when you're fishing a jig rip it out there power fish it back rip it out there try a slightly different presentation and then move on it's a uh, it's a power fishing technique so now beyond just the twitch which what i described is really what i'm doing most of the time but here's a couple other things to do and the reason to do it is because everybody knows how to twitch now and everybody is a really good angler now so when you're fishing around other really good anglers you gotta sometimes have something a little different so uh, one option you can do actually this for boat anglers that maybe hover and bait there's the vertical twitching technique um, this is really a boat only way to fish twitching jigs unless you want to climb out onto a tree over the water but vertical jigging is no secret and especially popular in the ocean with you know the butterfly jigs stuff like that but a twitching jig suspended above the bottom can actually produce some bites especially in chinook holes uh, this technique can be tricky because in a deep hole you may need to get down near the bottom which can require dropping it to the bottom then reeling a few cranks up if the bottom isn't snaggy though, it's not much of an issue. Once you know you're within a foot or two of the bottom, start doing some light twitches, still letting the line slack on the fall. I like to start with a subtle approach, light twitches to entice a lazy Chinook or Coho to take a snap at it without having to expend a bunch of energy to get it. If nothing happens, I will start to get more aggressive with the twitches, lift it higher, let it drop farther, still no bite i'll reel it in you know maybe a couple more cranks up give it a few good twitches open up the bale or, or hit the bait caster button to drop it back down and if salmon are suspended in the hole you can you can sometimes get them up farther you know near the surface you know you can twitch crank twitch crank but really start to speed it up uh, the further you get there because if there's an aggressive fish up there they'll follow it up and hammer it so you know always keep an eye out for that but this is the type of thing that for Chinook can actually be effective because what's nice is you can hang bait off it. You can put a tuna belly um, or what I would tend to do actually on a lot of my twitching jigs is just put some of the proke here and it's bloody tuna just right on the head, the gel. And, you know, you can do the water solubles too in the, uh, in the feathers of a jig or if you've got a hoochie jig, just rub the scent all over it. But in those cases, in those deeper holes when there's fish stacked up in there, that can be a difference maker. You can put bait on there, like I said, um, tuna bellies with some rock salt and then some uh, oils on them. Same anise bloody tuna just really seems to be uh, kind of consistent for steelhead coho and chinook. That's the, that's the only reason I mentioned that one. Obviously, there's plenty of other scents that work great, but that's a consistent one. So that whole vertical jigging is kind of a, a you know an option that really... If you're the type that's uh, out in a boat and you know you're over fish, Chinook and Coho in a hole and you've got twitching jigs and it's pretty deep, certainly worth doing. Now, uh, the next little technique beyond the twitch here is just called the turn and burn. And this technique really isn't twitching at all. It's when you've kind of been through a hole that's twitched out or, you know, by yourself or maybe there's just a ton of other people that have been in, you know, through it. Um, 
This is something I do when I get down near the bottom of the hole. And I'll cast in and let my jig sink, you know, kind of the target zone. So if you're fishing a three-foot riffle, that maybe means you let it sink for 0 0.0003 of a second. Or if it's a 15-foot hole, maybe it sinks for longer, you know. But once it's in that strike zone, you just start cranking the jig in. And so a lot of people know plugs ret retrieved at a very rapid speed are deadly for salmon, bass, and even steelhead. And this is kind of the same, except the jig is not a plug with a diving bill. So instead of kind of diving down and coming back towards you, it's coming back in a straight line. So you got to kind of keep that in mind. Now, this is especially deadly, I believe, if you try it from a few different angles. Usually I'll twitch from upstream and then like I'll make a couple casts on the way out if I'm going from a drift bow or if I'm walking down, casting through the riffle, just ripping it back as fast as I can. And it'll make that fish that didn't react to the twitch just turn and burn on it. Um, and, you know, of course, if you're casting across or downstream, you can kind of you can kind of swing it and reel it and stuff. And that all works. You use your discretion. But I really do think in most cases the twitch is going gonna, is gonna to be the, the option. But it really is... is is about giving them something different to look at when the twitching has been done heavily in the hole. And that is what I'm seeing. A bunch of great anglers out there doing a fantastic job of twitching. Is just give them a different speed, a different look, different presentation to make that one coho go, okay, that's the one I want to bite. So uh, I actually had my first experience with the turn and burn technique accidentally. I was uh, I cast it into a small piece of target water near a log, fit, twitched a couple times, no bites. So I looked back at my buddy and I'm talking to him while reeling in my jig as fast as I possibly could just because I, I want to get another cast in there. Then all of a sudden I had, uh, I had the Lamaglass XB bait caster bass rod slammed by a beautiful bright coho about five feet from the boat. And I wasn't looking, I wasn't expecting it, so the grab was just unforgettable. And my buddy, Keith Johnson, the guide, he didn't believe I had a fish on until he saw it too. And then we both breathlessly landed this fish. And, you know, that it was, it was incredible to have that fish just not respond to the twitch and then instead follow it and then hammer it right as it's flying near the boat. Coho are an incredible species that will give chase like nothing else. So, um, and the thing is, is even though you're just reeling it, the jig has, uh, you know, for the hair jigs or for the hoochies or the ones with the with the rubber skirts, you know, they have movement as you're reeling them. So, um, it's not just a dead reel; it's got movement happening the entire time. Now, another type of twitch I'd call the swinging twitch. And I do uh, remember a day that uh, I and two of my buddies pulled up to a prime riffle with a deep hole past it, and we were in the raft. It was Marlin, Lefevre, and Cameron Black back in 2014 or 15 when, I think it was 15, maybe, yeah, I think about 2015 when uh, coho fishing was just incredible. And we had done very well that day and we rolled up to the hole and two anglers were bobber fishing eggs in the back of the hole. So we asked if they didn't mind if we fished, you know, 20 feet above them in the riffle. They were super cool. They said, go ahead. You know, it's been kind of slow for us since this morning. They'd got some bites right away in the morning, which, you know, totally makes sense. A nice egg bite. 
in the cold, dark hole, but as the sun hit the water, they stopped getting bites. So what we were noticing, you know, with the, with the sun hitting the water and everything is we were catching a lot of our coho in the riffles, uh, at, at least the fresh coho. So we figured we'd, you know, hit this riffle before we moved on. We didn't want to hammer the hole they were in. We were in a raft. They were in a, you know, that was their bank spot. So we had plenty of water to cover. But uh, Cameron made his first cast to the far side of the riffle. And as soon as it hit the water, it was fish on. No twitch, no reel, just one of those immediate bites. And Cameron landed a coho that was to this day, one of the most beautiful coho I've ever seen. We actually put it on the cover of Salmon Trout Steelheader. Um, and you can't even see his face. It's just him looking down at the coho. And I actually, I took the photo on, on his camera. And that fish was truly incredible. Just a wonderful fish. I don't remember what it uh, must have been. 2019, perhaps, in the fall. Anyway, uh, a beautiful fish. So... Uh, that is the fish that I'm talking about. And then uh, after that, I, I, I got up there and I have my half ounce jig. And I, you know, a twitching jig kind of resembles like a big wet fly. Like ones that salmon and steelhead use, except it's got a jig head and of course falls way faster. But uh, with this in mind, I kind of like the idea of swinging the jig through almost like you would with a spoon spinner or fly. Uh, the actual presentation is of course different, but the idea of swinging the jig through the run in front of a holding fish is the same. So I cast into the far side and started slowly retrieving it through the riffle. Now throughout the swing though, I'm giving short little twitches of the wrist with a short fast action rod to give the jig a nice little jump action and boom, fish on, first cast. And after this fish, we caught quite a few more out of the hole and of the three that I caught, all were on the twitch and swing. Now this technique is something I usually would reserve for fishing riffles or tailouts as it can really pick apart those areas with finesse. Um, for coho, again, this is not a primary technique. It's one that will work in a few specific situations. But what is very interesting is for chum, they love a swing and a buggy fly looking type of lure. And so that type of swing, if you're able to, you know, maybe even go with a quarter ounce jig and swing it through, cast it through and give it little light twitches, that for chum can be an absolute killer. Chartreuses, cerise, pink, black, do some of that. Maybe throw a piece of grocery store prawn on the hook and just twitch that thing ever so slightly. The chum will be all over it. Tell me I'm wrong. Give it a shot when there's chum around and, uh, and then let me know if I'm wrong. So let's talk about some of the species specific colors. Uh, that's what's so fun about jigs. So many colors, so many options. Now, coho can be so aggressive that there are times it feels like they'll hit almost any color. But I'm telling you, there's no doubt that certain colors will stand out from year to year. One thing to be sure of, however, is that if you're not sure, contrasting colors are a good thing to go with. I tend to go with a contrast between the heady or I tend to go with a contrast between the head and the tail. Either a bright head and a subdued body and tail, or the other way around. Now, if you're going to try uh, some colors for coho without previous experience, here are five colors that I generally will trust or try, which can be utilized uh, for the head or the feathers. Any combination of these five will generally work pretty well on 
Pacific uh, coho streams, although you'll see certain colors stand out from system to system. Pink, of course, is very popular, and for pink salmon, it's amazing. It's the end all. For coho, it can be very good. However, if I'm going to choose three jigs, pink is not one of them. Uh, chartreuse, very good, and the nice thing about chartreuse is it also is a crossover into the Chinook favorites of colors. Purple is a deadly coho twitching color. Black, uh, I was down on the river the other day, met a couple of guys who listened to the podcast. Hopefully they'll hear this. They were fishing the all-black jig and caught a couple silvers right there. So, And then blue. Blue is so deadly. Dark blue, light blue, blue. But I bet a lot of you guys that are listening to this are probably thinking, oh, well, he didn't even mention red, or he didn't even mention peach, or he didn't mention, you know, this specific form of cerise, or green, or yellow, or what have you. And it's so true. There's some systems where that color of the water and whatever it may be just makes those fish snap on that. And so that's the beauty of it. But I mentioned those couple of colors just to give you some ideas to start with. Now for Chinook, I would say they are a little bit more picky about twitching jig colors than coho. And although twitching for Chinook isn't as popular, it is actually one of the most effective artificial options there is for the king of salmon. Now, now through the years I'd caught a few Chinook while twitching, but I didn't really put two and two together on it being a viable Chinook lure. I just assumed I annoyed an aggressive king. And perhaps that's true, but if you're getting bit, something could be going right. So last year I started to target kings and caught some very quality fish doing it. I talked to a few guides about the best Chinook colors and found a few of my own favorites. There are some guides quietly titch there are some guides quietly twitching for Chinook with their clients and they don't really want to talk about it, but they're putting fish in the net because of it. A few years ago I heard about anglers using chartreuse and black twitching jigs for spring Chinook. And now I know that's a particularly good color, but that's not the only color to use for schnook. So, of course, black chartreuse, that's a good option. But light blue, especially, is a big-time, good schnook twitching jig color. Uh, purple, again, get right back in to the blues, the purples, the blacks, the chartreuse. That's where it's at, and sometimes that red can come in handy, too. So uh, one of my best colors was a chartreuse head with a dark purple body, some flashy tinsel UV or whatever it is, and it was by the Get Em Dry Jigs, the XXX Choker. And I caught a bunch of Chinook on them and Coho. Uh, so, but of course, you know, the jig that you use the most probably has the most chance at getting seen by a fish. But I definitely caught enough Chinook on it to develop some confidence. But uh I've definitely started to move into a straight black with light blue get them dry jig. Um, there's some great options out there in multiple companies offering uh, great options. Just try your different colors and, and see what happens. And UV is something that a lot of people, most people are putting in their jigs. We don't necessarily see it, but the, the fish do. And fish don't have eyelids, or as Roger Hinchcliffe would say, they don't wear sunglasses. So in direct sunlight, 
you know, you might you might think about having those UV materials in there so that those fish can see something that you can't. And then if there isn't UV in the jig itself, what's cool is most of those Procure scents, or perhaps even all of them, I think, except the ice fishing scents, um, they all have UV in them. So you can put a little UV on there uh, in dark, dirty water, or also in direct sunlight where a fish might have trouble seeing. Definitely try that out. Put a little UV on the head, or if you got a water-soluble UV scent that you can put in the feathers. So for the rods, one-piece spinning rods are really popular on the West Coast, shorter ones. Um, you know, you'll find anglers using a variety of different rods on the river. But one thing that I know for sure is you got to go with a fast action. It's got to be sensitive, and it's got to be fast. And if you don't have that, you will not notice some bites that are happening. Because a lot of the bites occur on the fall, and a lot of fish miss the hook or let it go quickly. So if you have a slower action, softer rod, you won't feel those bites on the fall unless the fish absolutely smashes it. I started out um, with a 9'6 Lama Glass Certified Pro. That was incredible for spinners and float fishing, but it was not good for twitching for coho. And so when I switched over to the Lama Glass Bass Rods, I started catching a lot more fish. And so I like a medium heavy or a medium, you know, fast sensitive rod, bass rod. For sure, go strong, go sensitive, and because you hook Chinook on this technique, don't go too light. As far as lines and leaders, I really like a 30 pound line with about a 15 to 20 pound bumper. And in darker, dirty water or in places like Alaska where there's a ton of aggressive fish or fish just coming out of tidewater, then I'll just go straight braid. Now, this really is a technique to remember for me. You know, as an avid bass angler, it's really hard for me not to look forward to twitching for coho and chinook. It's effective, it's a lot of fun. But until you get your first fish on it, it feels kind of weird and awkward. But once it happens, you just keep coming back to it. I don't actually remember my first fish on the Twitch, but I sure as heck remember perhaps hundreds of them. You know, there are absolutely hundreds of them. You know, so many great experiences catching coho on a twitching jig. I like half ounce, I like three quarter ounce, and in some cases one ounce. Three eighths does work, it's popular. But a lot of people think when you go heavier, you have a chance of snagging easier. But the thing is, is the scope of your line when the jig falls faster, your line isn't kind of side drifting through the water. And so you actually don't necessarily hang up as much. Just make sure you don't hit the bottom. So a couple of the suggestions uh, in, the, you know, in the article in this podcast might help you. But I'd really encourage you... Don't be afraid to try just about anything with a twitching jig, especially with coho. They're so interesting and kind of strange and aggressive that they'll react to some very funny things. And whether you switch it up with the twitch height, the retrieve speed, the colors, develop your own twitching style. But what you're going to find out is the fish are going to tell you pretty quick what works and what doesn't. So, you know, there's a lot of variety on this one trip. I was looking over at my buddy Funny for doing massive twitches, just big ol' upswings on the twitch. But he actually ended up doing really well. Now, for some reason on that same trip, 
I was doing about half as aggressive of a twitch and just dropping it just as fast. Both of us caught just about almost, you know, pretty much half and half fish. I don't remember who caught more. Probably him. But what I, I guess what I'm saying is that in that case, those fish were reacting to the jigs in general, the movement. There are going to be days that you're going to find they're keying in on specific colors and movements big time. The fun part is bring a couple colors and just try retrieve speeds, twitch heights, twitch speeds, and see what works. Thanks again for listening. This episode is brought to you by Al's Goldfish. Check them out, alsgoldfish.com. USA made incredible lures. Thank you for supporting Salmon Trout Steelheader. Again, please like, comment, tell your friends. That really, really does help us. Take care.